all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we'll continue taking your calls about COVID-19, as well as your questions about general health and wellness. We also want to honor any nurses that you would like to highlight this week as we are celebrating the end of Nurses Week. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. And you can always interact with me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Hope you're doing well this morning. I am. I've got my second cup of coffee, so I'm, I'm fully caffeinated today. All right. Uh, and, I, you know, this weekend the, the uh, weather was really just uh, excellent. And so uh, my friend and I discovered uh, that uh, playing singles tennis, it is easy to social distance. So we took advantage of the nice weather and got out there and got some exercise. Although, you know, I have this little thing that you keep track of how many games each person has won. And at the, the beginning of the match, he said, well, why don't you, you know, do that so that we don't be touching the same thing? And I said, okay, that's fine. As we went along, I said, well, my side of the thing, anybody can touch it because I haven't had to move it because I haven't won any games yet. So, <laughs> Well, and you know, I'm a hot weather girl. So uh, Saturday was a little chilly for me. So I wrapped up like a, uh, a burrito in my little fuzzy pajamas and blanket and kind of stayed inside. Uh, but yesterday we did get out uh, in our backyard for Mother's Day and enjoyed the, the sunshine and being together and and had a really nice day. So it was a pretty good weekend, but I'm, I'm ready for all the little cold snaps to, to go away. Yeah, um, it, it was interesting because I had anticipated a little bit of a cooler weather on Sunday when actually though Sunday morning when we got out there, it was really very, very nice weather. So we had great yeah. sunny weather for Mother's Day and hope all the mothers enjoyed their special day this year. Uh, so Josie, got to, so, uh, a couple things. Uh, you, I know you've got some uh, Facebook messages that we want to go over. I've got a call here that I'm going to get uh, queued up here in just a moment. But first, uh, okay. if you don't mind... Uh, uh, as I mentioned to you in an email, it's time for Kevin's Weekly. That's something that I think I should know about, but I don't really know about question. So if you would, tell, tell us about herd immunity and why that's important. Yeah, absolutely. So herd immunity is definitely a term that we're people are hearing more about in light of this pandemic, but it's it's something that those in healthcare medicine and um, especially infection control and, and disease prevention are, are very used to using. Um, it really implies that when a large amount of a population either acquires an infection and beats it or receives um, immunity from another method like a vaccine, then the 
illness is not able to spread in that population, right? So if the majority of people or really a certain percentage of the people have antibodies to a disease, then the spread is lower. And so when we think back historically over things um, that used to be common illnesses and now we don't see as much of, a lot of that is due to, to herd immunity. So if we think about measles, um, I know when I first started as a nurse and as a nursing student almost 20 years ago, I had never seen a case of measles and, and didn't see it in school. It was just things we saw in, in, in the textbooks and things like that because of vaccination rates. So we got you know a certain number uh, of population, portion of the population vaccinated against that. And then the spread, uh, it just wasn't able to spread. From that perspective. Now, when we see outbreaks of things that previously have been suppressed, like measles, oftentimes we can link that back to a population who has lower vaccination rates and lower immunity rates. So when we're talking about COVID-19, talking about, you know, reaching a certain portion of the population that is uh, immune to that to slow down the spread. Now, how many that takes to reach herd immunity? is variable. And one of the variables we look at is how quickly the virus spreads or how how virulent it is, you know, how many people can one person infect, which we've talked about on the show before when we talked about the reproduction number or the the R naught of um, COVID-19. And so again, this is a, a, a new thing for us, this particular virus. So uh, some of the things we just don't don't know yet. And we have to be humble enough to say that, you know, we don't know, we don't have all the answers for things. But usually when we're looking at viral type things, somewhere between 70 to 90% of the population with antibodies produces herd immunity. All right, very good. We have a caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to Gene, who's called in from Yancey. Gene, you're on the air with us. Your turn. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I hear people say that they think they already had the virus back in September, and I wonder if there is anything medically proven about that or what you might can tell me. It's a great question. I hear it a lot as well. Um, the consensus from the medical community is that that was likely not um, COVID. What we're finding is that there were cases earlier, likely earlier than we thought thought they were, um, you know, kind of in that end of February, beginning of March situation. Um, what is going to help tell us is is antibody testing. Now, one thing we don't know is how long those antibodies last. So it's unlikely that we would be able to take somebody from as far back as September and be able to say yay or nay on whether they have, whether they had it or not. Although the data that I've seen and that we're looking at is, is likely not what that was uh, at that present time. Um, the other thing we have to remember is that there are a multitude of respiratory viruses out there that can make us ill. And so people who, uh, you know, tested negative for the flu uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't have another type of respiratory virus that wasn't the flu, that wasn't COVID-19, but that still made them ill. And we're still working through, you know, how reliable and accurate are antibody testing um, kits for COVID-19. So all that to say, 
kind of like I said in the in the previous comment, we have to kind of be humble and say we just don't know everything about it yet, and we likely won't ever know everything. That's uh, the purpose of science is that we keep looking. But from what we know currently, it doesn't look like those things back at the end part of 2019, at least here in Mississippi, were COVID-19. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for giving us a call today. Thanks, Jean, for your call. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. If you'd like to get in touch with us this morning with a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can reach Josie on our Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can send a question via email. It's fit at mpbonline.org. As we mentioned, Josie, you do have a couple of uh, comments on your Facebook page. Why don't we do the first one before our first break? Yeah, absolutely. So this actually came in a private message, and it was a link to a uh, an article, and it, it asked me for my opinion on that. And I absolutely really appreciate people doing that. You know, if you follow me on social media, you'll see that I, every couple of days I, I put out my my um, episode of "Don't Share This," and it's not to censor people. We absolutely want people to feel free to. Uh, you know, talk about things and and challenge the way we think about things. But when it becomes dangerous, you know, we we really want people to think before they share and to ask, a, you know, a trusted healthcare provider or scientist to help break those things down. And the title of the article was "Autopsies Prove That uh, Coronavirus Is a Disseminated Intravascular Coagulation." And so that's there's a lot of big words there and a lot of things to unpack. Um, the, one of the things was when I clicked on the link, it, it was a dead link. It didn't go anywhere. So that always gives me a little bit of pause if, you know, if it's been taken down for some reason. Um, and the, the second part of it that bothers me is when we say definitive things like proves it is a something, right? You know, if we've learned nothing from, from COVID, it's that we don't have all the answers and, and we're figuring things out. But the, the nugget of truth in there is the, the word disseminated intravascular coagulation, which some people may be a little bit more familiar with call, just calling it DIC, which is something that we see in healthcare w- with other illnesses, with um, when we get people with uh, shock, with septic shock and overwhelming infections, that can happen. What it is essentially is little clots form, and those clots use up all the, the ingredients in our body that help us clot. And then when we need to clot, we don't have any of those ingredients left. And so we, we bleed. And so we absolutely know that some people with COVID-19 have developed DIC. Doesn't mean that everyone with COVID, of course, um, everyone doesn't develop that. Doesn't mean everyone that's hospitalized or even everyone that has died from COVID-19 developed DIC. But it is... Um, part of some people's cases of COVID-19. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we are continuing our uh, COVID coverage that we've done for the past couple of weeks, taking your questions about that, as well as answering your questions about general health and wellness, how we stay healthy and fit every day. You can interact with us over on our Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. And you can give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. And I think we do have a caller on the line. So we'll go on over to the phone lines and talk with Kevin in Biloxi. Good morning, Kevin. You're on the air. Hey, Doc. Um, got a question for you. Okay. Now, I've been, I've, been to, I've been to my primary care three times now over the same issue it's upper right quadrant of the abdomen and i know that's that's a horrible place to start talking about Um, (laughs) upper right upper right quadrant i have had um, i am 56 years old diabetic i do not have i do not have my gallbladder i do not have my appendix okay um, a, let's see, cat, not a cat scan, a ultrasound revealed a fatty liver. That's all. Okay. Okay. Um, the pain continued and continued to get worse. It is now, phys- I am physically unable to withstand even the pressure of a shirt on my skin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That, that's how bad it is. So I have a CAT scan. CAT scan revealed nothing. Hmm. Now my question is, would an X-ray show possibly an issue with my lung? I would have thought a CAT scan of my abdomen would have shown that. But All right. Okay. What other um, tests can be done? I've had blood tests. I've had MRI or not an MRI. I've had a CAT scan and. An ultrasound, would an MRI help? Hmm. Probably not. Um, and the x-ray, I don't think, would really add anything to this picture. Do you know, so a lot of times with CAT scans um, or CT scans, when we do the the belly, we also do what's called a chest, abdomen, pelvis. So we get a chest, a chest abdomen, and the pelvic view um, on the CT scan. Do you know if that's what you had or you had just the yes, abdomen? I no, I had... I had the chest as well as the pelvic view. Okay. And so nothing on the lungs or anything like that on the, the CT scan? Nope. Nothing wrong? Nope. Okay. Nope. Then I don't think an x-ray nope. would add um, much to this picture. The other question well, me, I have, when, when was your gallbladder taken out? My gallbladder was taken out, oh, God, 
when I was 16, and I'm now okay. 56, so 50 years, okay. 40 years ago. Many years ago. And is the yeah. pain there all the time, or does it come and go? No, the pain is there all the time. It does not subside. It does not increase. Okay. It is okay. It is a constant burning pain. Now, burning pain, did, okay. It did increase one time when I went to get up, and it went. It shot across my belly. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking okay. is, could it could it be a hernia? Um. Well, when we say hernia, you know, there's several different kinds of hernias. Which a hernia usually is just an, a, a pooching of the intestine through some kind of weakened area in the muscle wall. Um, usually not right upper quadrant where we would see it. Usually more around the belly button or uh, lower in the the pelvic area. Um, you said you had blood tests done, uh, and you've seen your primary care provider. Have you seen a GI doctor? I have not. That would that be where we would death. go next. That's my next. That's my next. Yeah, that's my next appointment. Now, yep. one question about that: I have a colonoscopy scheduled with him. Mm-hmm. Um, will the cl- will specifically will the CAT scan or the ultrasound reveal any problems internal with my colon, or is that going to uh, have to be done specifically with a colonoscopy? Right. So the ultrasound, no, um, not likely anyway, especially if it was just a right upper quadrant ultrasound, more of a liver ultrasound type situation. Um, The CAT scan can show us a couple things, largely like inflammation, like if the the intestine looks um, inflamed or thickened or there's more lymph nodes around it, that kind of stuff. But to look at the lining of the colon, which is what we're going to do with the colonoscopy, you kind of got to have the colonoscopy part so that we can actually visualize the lining of the intestine to see if it looks like there's ulcers there, um, you know, polyps or growths that are there, um, you know, pooches like uh, diverticula, although you can see those on uh, CT scan. Uh, but the most complete picture that we're going to get is kind of the combination of the two. So you've had the CT scan part, and now we need to go look at the actual lining of the intestine. Do you have an office visit with the GI doctor in addition to the colonoscopy? Yes, I do. Okay, good. You need the office visit um, so that they can actually put hands on the area that that you're having the pain in, see if they feel anything in that particular area, take a look at the ultrasound, take a look at the the CT scan results and see if they can figure out um, what is going on. There's, you know, more testing that is needed with with fatty liver as well to see if there's any type of kind of scarring to the liver um, that would cause some fibrosis and that kinds of things. But the GI doc is the the next spot for you, absolutely. Doc, thank you very much. You've been very helpful. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for giving us a call today. Thanks, Kevin. We appreciate your giving us a call. As Josie said, if you'd like to call in and you're listening this morning, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can uh, send an email to fit at mpbonline.org or get in touch with Josie via her Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. Uh, Do you have another Facebook message to share? Absolutely. So I actually had one that just came in hot off the presses. Let me pull it up. 
uh, one of my frequent uh, commenters asking about exposure to COVID-19. And so the question, if my internet will quit being so dang slow, here we go, is from Hazel. And she actually asks, uh, if you come into contact with someone that has the virus, when are you considered contagious after you've come into contact with someone who has it? So you may not be, right? Not everyone that comes into contact with someone that is positive for COVID-19 will develop infection, right? There are a chunk of people who are going to develop what we call asymptomatic infection, meaning they never develop symptoms, but they do have the infection and um, there's the potential that they would be able to spread it. And then there are the folks who are going to start to manifest symptoms. So all that to say, just because you come into contact with someone who has a virus doesn't mean you will ever become contagious, but we don't know yet how, you know, if you will or not, that's the purpose of the 14 day kind of self quarantine. And we talked a little bit about the different terms, right? There's uh, quarantine, there's isolation and there's distancing. And what we've been asking the general public to do is, is distancing, right? Keeping, you know, at least six feet away from each other, wearing masks, washing your hands, not going places if you don't need to go. And then we have the self-quarantine uh, and self-isolation piece. So self-isolation is for the folks who have actually tested positive for um, COVID-19, where we want them to isolate in their house, not just uh, free reign in their home, but actually limit their movement in their home to you know, a particular room and a bathroom if you have more than one bathroom, so that that infection uh, doesn't spread throughout the household. The second is self-quarantine, meaning if you've come into contact with someone who is positive for COVID-19, you stay at home to prevent the spread uh, of it potentially if you develop the infection. Now, COVID-19 has a, 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 a wide incubation period, right? So time from when we're exposed to when we develop symptoms of two to 14 days. Now, the average is somewhere around five to seven days that people develop symptoms, but it can be as far out as 14 days. That's why we hear people say you need to stay home for 14 days if you've been exposed, because it could take that long for you to start manifesting symptoms. Uh, Josie, I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big fan of cookies. Um, and you had a really simple uh, and looked like a real tasty recipe for peanut butter cookies on your Facebook page. I was wondering before this next break if you could share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So part of my Mother's Day present was some new tech. So I've gotten a microphone and an iPad holder and a tripod so that I can start doing some more quick videos with recipes. And yesterday we did a four-ingredient peanut butter cookie recipe. It was just one ripe banana mashed. Um, a cup of sugar, a teaspoon of baking soda, and a cup of creamy peanut butter all mixed together and scooped out, baked at 350 degrees for 10 minutes. Definitely not the healthiest cookie that you could ever eat, but definitely a healthier option than some that are loaded with added fat and refined grains. So it definitely makes for a quick snack and using up some uh, some of those bananas who get a little sad on the counter there. And they're one of my favorite quick, easy, gooey, ooey cookies. Now, see, you forgot what my favorite part was, and that's the drizzle. 
Oh, yes. So that it makes it a five ingredient then. That's the optional thing is the chocolate drizzle. So I don't know if you've ever had um, Banafi pie or ban- I don't know how you say it, Banafi pie. It's a British thing. And it's kind of peanut butter and bananas and chocolate and all those kinds of things. So my ode to that was just melting some um, mini chocolate chips and drizzling on top of the cookies for a little added mm, factor. And, you know, I've done with chocolate before, and, and I know especially like baker's chocolate and stuff, it, it's it's kind of tricky, double boiler and all that sort of thing. But I thought what right. was neat for your recipe was you put the mini chocolate chips in a little uh, a, a, a Ziploc bag, dunk uh-huh. them in some hot water, and then made a little piping bag out of them. How long did it take before the, the chips melted? Uh, so I use many, many chocolate chips, so the, the really small ones, so that they'll melt quickly. Um, and one of my favorite features in my kitchen is a, a hot water spout. Uh, so I get like piping hot water from that. Uh, and so I just filled up a little mason jar with that and put uh, probably about two or three tablespoons worth of chocolate chips in there. And within two minutes or so, they were pretty doggone melted. And, you know, so like you mentioned, double boilers are a drag, like that's, that's dirty in two pots, then I don't do dishes very well. Um, And then you can always melt your chocolate chips in the microwave, but you have to be careful if you go a little too far with that, Um, the chocolate will seize up and just not be delicious at all. So this is just a quick way to do it. Um, I put mine in the hot water while the cookies were baking. And so, you know, as soon as the cookies were out of the oven, the, the chocolate was was ready to go there, and there was really nothing to clean up um, because when I was done with the little piping bag, I just threw the whole concoction away, dumped my water out of my jar, uh, dried it out, and put it back in the cabinet. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. We've been answering your questions today about COVID-19 how to stay healthy and fit, and any other host of questions that you have for us today. Our number is one mpb ring You can send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can interact with me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. We do have a caller on the line in Starkville. We're going to go talk with Jean. Good morning, Jean. Hello. Hello. How can I help you today? Well, Starkville is going to start uh, um, lifting the face mask um, necessity. And I was wondering for those of us who are over 70, I know that the masks are really not to prevent the disease, but prevent somebody who has it from spreading it. So those of us who are concerned about that, what are our options? Just stay at home all the time? 
<laughs> well, you can always continue to wear your mask. That's yeah. better than, than nothing, right? right. So okay, there's a... Do. Go ahead. Well, what I do, but the concern is of those who are not. Right. And my mask right. won't keep me from getting their illness. Well, it will help, right? So there's a... there's the notion of nobody wearing a mask, right? And so two people out there, you know, one possibly spreading it, the other uh, susceptible to it. Then there's the notion of both people wearing a mask, right? Which is what we would would hope for, where people um, are protected from inhaling things to a certain point, and then people are, are not expelling anything. And then there's kind of the middle ground, which is where, we are kind of currently, which is where one person is is wearing a mask. And so that helps some, right? So it's better right. than nothing. Um, the second piece of that is maintaining distance, right? So if you have to go yeah. out, if you have your mask on, the other people don't, you want to stay, you know, as far away from them as you can, ideally six right. feet or more. Um, you want to uh, wash your hands or use a, uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer after touching things and, and that kind of situation. And then really only go out, you know, when you absolutely need to. Doesn't mean you don't go sit outside or, you know, go to a park and stay away from, from large crowds and that kind of thing. But to go into a store, things like that, really think about uh, bundling those trips, right? So that we don't go multiple times um, to get ingredients for things and, and that kind of thing. We kind of get it all in one fail swoop right now. Um, because even with um, mandates for face masks, some people are still not wearing them. So, you know, we can't necessarily control others' behavior, but we can have control over our own. And so, you know, when I go out, I wear my mask. Not everybody that I see is is wearing one. Uh, so I make sure to stay uh, appropriately distanced from them and do good hand hygiene. Well, up until now, all the stores in Starkville had to wear masks. You had a mandate. Right, but that has been lifted. And, okay. Um, yep. That's my concern. But anyway, I'll just wear mine and stay six feet apart. That's right. That's the best you can do. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, my dear. Thank you for giving us a call. And Josie, one quick follow-up that I've tried to do is, uh, and this is one where maybe the big box stores become a little more handy because they have so many different things. Instead of going to store A to get this and store B to get that, I've thought about, well, maybe I can go to store C and get both of the things I need. And that way you're not going to as many different locations. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that, that's a great tip for just everyday life is having a plan. Like what do I actually need and knowing your store and the store layout so that you're not wandering all over the store, you know, meandering up and down aisles in search of things. Um, One thing that we also have to kind of have in place is is a backup plan, right? So if you went to the store to get X, Y, and Z, and they're out of X, what's your backup plan, right? So that, you know, you don't kind of get stuck wandering the aisles again. You know that if they don't have this, then you're going to replace it with this other item there. All right. I think you got another uh, Facebook message to talk about. 
I did. And I got two actually, and they're pretty, uh, they're related. So they're not the same, but they're related. And one actually came in, um, after our last show and it says, given the multiple health risk factors that complicate and put some Mississippi populations at higher risk amid the COVID pandemic, can you please speak to the importance of preventive measures addressing a healthy lifestyle in putting your body at risk? And man, that's just, that's my jam right there because that's what, that's what I do, right? Every day with my patients is trying to reinforce the notion of uh, being as healthy as we can be uh, for whatever illnesses we may be approached with, right? Um, Even during flu season, we know that people with um, comorbid conditions or, you know, underlying health issues tend to do worse with the the general seasonal flu. And so being as healthy as we can be is kind of our, you know, our greatest line of defense against uh, infections and, and things like the flu and COVID and that kind of thing. And so, you know, that's why we spend a lot of time on this show talking about how to eat better, how to move more and stay physically active, how to focus on your sleep so that we're giving our body the time it needs to rest and repair itself, um, that we're working on our stress management, our anxiety and our depression, because mental health influences physical health as well as the immune system. And so really that entire package of working on our lifestyle behaviors and staying, um, and I always say healthy as we as we can be, um, is so vitally important Um, not just with COVID, but with any type of um, illness that we may encounter, the healthier we are, the better we do with those kinds of things. And so it's never too late to begin working on your lifestyle choices. I have patients that are in their 80s who have come to me to, to help with lifestyle, and it is never ever too late um, to to work on something that you want to work on. My biggest piece of advice is that we don't have to overhaul everything all at once. We just pick an area to focus and start to write a plan in on that. It may be your diet. It may be that you want to start a walking program. It may be that you want to start uh, mindfulness or meditation or any of these different types of activities to help with stress and anxiety. But we've just got to pick somewhere to start and really put our efforts into um, working on that particular area. All right. Uh, we have got a caller on the line, Josie, and it is uh, Evelyn calling in from Jackson. Hi, this is Evelyn. Uh, I have a comment about big box stores. Right now, I actually try to, I would rather go to two small stores that have a limited number of people in it then go to one big box store where I am surrounded by a bunch of people, particularly if those two stores are relatively close to each other. So um, I try not to go to multiple places. I grocery shop only once every – my goal is once every two weeks. I've made it to 10 or 11 days. So, But I have the luxury of having a a deep freezer. Because (laughs) – uh, kind of talk about perhaps weighing that going to a box store where you've got a lot of people versus, you know, if I go to two smaller stores and will see, you know, only a quarter of the people I would see in the box store. All right. Absolutely. And that actually uh, popped in my head when we were talking about it, 
because we also want to support, you know, small businesses as well. And so, you know, if it's a family owned you know, small business, we absolutely want to throw our support in there. Um, and so I think it, it depends on where you live and what you have access to and what you feel comfortable doing. But the most important thing I heard you say was that you had a plan, right? You knew how to make your food last as long as, as it could last in your supplies so that you limited the number of times you had to go out and you knew what you were getting in uh, each one of those stores, not just kind of hopping from store to store uh, looking for different things. So it's definitely a balance between what you want to do. The take home of it is though we want to limit our trips and take the necessary precautions to prevent ourselves from becoming infected and limiting the spread um, of COVID. Well, and one other thing, like I usually go to one grocery store and I noticed mm-hmm. there was an item that they hadn't been able to restock for a while. Beets, canned beets. Don't know what happened to canned beets at Kroger. <laughs> but, and, and so one time I said, well, you know, you've been to Kroger for a month and a half and they haven't had canned beets except for pickled ones. So try a different grocery store. Uh-huh. And sure you, enough, there were found 10 cans of canned beets there. <laughs> Well, if you've listened to this show before, you know that beets are my um, kryptonite. There are very few things in the world that I do not like. And I always tell people to try things multiple ways before you say you don't like it. And I have tried a beet just about every single way you can you can beat a beet. And so I did not buy up all the canned beets at Kroger. I left well, those for somebody else. But I'm glad you well, enjoy them because they're incredibly healthy for you. <laughs> well, I have a, a, a friend, an elderly friend, who has never cared for beets. And I, uh, and she, like I, am a type 2 diabetic. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I make this beet salad. I didn't know she didn't like beets. I said, you want some? Mm-hmm. Me to send some? And she's like, well, I don't like beets, but I'll try yours. And she called me back and was like, Okay, I'm going to give the phone to my daughter so she can write down your recipe. That's and awesome. And it's just strain the Maybe I need it. Tell me what it is so that I can try it. Strain the, the cans of beets, uh, throw them in a bowl, make you a vinaigrette with twice as much vinegar as oil, salt and pepper, and as much onions as you want. And onions also help... Uh, respiratory illnesses so get you some onions folks (laughs) (laughs) all right and you just let it marinate yes and that's it I mean my my mother when my mother makes it she makes it from the beets out of her garden and she cooks them Mm -hmm. and everything I go get the canned beets and you know slice them up if you have whole beets slice them up Mm -hmm. and okay and I find that, especially right now, when I make different salads like that, like have a pasta salad, a carrot salad, a beet salad, you know, various types of salads in my refrigerator, then my son don't ask me what's for lunch because they could go get beets and they can, uh, I mean, Absolutely. they can go get salads and a sandwich and they're, they, you know, and yeah. so it, it's oh, in That's there. a great plan. And that's something I encourage folks to do. Think about things you can make, you know, in kind of bulk that are going to keep and in in some cases even get better over time, which it sounds like, you know, a marinated beet salad would kind of get better, you know, after a day or two as it as everything kind of softens up and and soaks up all that yummy vinaigrette. 
So it's a great yep. way to, you know, keep your fridge stocked with, with healthy things that and my carrot uh, your family salad, will enjoy. My carrot salad is really easy. Peel the carrots, grate the par- carrots, especially if you have a food processor, it's easy. Grate the carrots, take you a can of frozen orange juice concentrate, dump it in there, add one or two cans of water. Okay, it's a little sweeter than some folks like because I'm not doing the full three cans of water in it. That, that, <laughs> the, the carrots soak up that orange juice. That's it, folks. And if you've got wow. kids, and if you if you've got kids in a food processor, if uh, they love to put those carrots through that food processor, they love yeah. to dump the orange juice in the water, and all. Depending upon the age of the child, you might have to peel the carrot, and yeah. that's it. That's great. You've so, given us lots of good um, kind of life hacks for getting healthy food on the table this morning. So I thank well, you for that, and I thank. One last quick quick tidbit. Sure. If you're getting the breakfast and the lunches from uh, Jackson Public Schools or another school district, those often have orange juice in them. And I just will throw the orange juice in it, and the kids will go, oh, Mom, it's not as sweet as before. And I've got – that's because it's pandemic carrot salad. <laughs> that's right. You've got to be a little flexible. Um, that's right. And my pasta salad – my pasta salad, one of the sons said, Mom, it's got more broccoli in it than usual. I said, yeah, you like broccoli, and that's what was in the refrigerator. I didn't have all the variety of vegetables that I usually have, so that's what it is. It's pandemic pasta salad. You know, that's you, right. You make a lot of substitutions, and it's okay. It is. It is. It's okay. Have a great all day. Right, my, thank you. You have a great day as well. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining me on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We have had a great show this Monday morning. We've still got a little bit of time left. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one 877 MPB ring. All right, uh, Josie, uh, I think that you mentioned that you've got another uh, Facebook question to deal with. I do. I ha- and it's, it's just right up my alley as well. It has to do with plant-based eating, right? And so the, the first question, it says, with all the talk of there being a meat shortage, this is a great time for me to really dig into more plant-based cooking. What websites, cookbooks, et cetera, do you recommend for recipes my whole family will love? So it's an 
absolutely excellent question, as well as timely, right? So we've heard that there may be um, some meat shortages, and I know that that can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic. Um, I want people to, to know that you can absolutely meet all your nutritional needs without meat or with less meat than you normally eat. Um, it just involves uh, focusing on plant-based sources of protein which are things like beans and legumes, right? So your black beans, pinto beans, uh, cannellini beans, navy beans, things like lentils and peas as well. Not your English peas, but um, like black-eyed peas, lady peas, that kind of stuff. Um, as well as nuts, so walnuts and almonds and, and peanut butter and those kinds of things. Seeds like chia seeds and flax seeds, sunflower seeds, uh, hemp seeds, those types of things. Uh, and then you can uh, look at uh, some of the kind of moderately processed things like tofu or tempeh, those can um, be substituted in as well, but are not required or necessary. And then um, I don't necessarily want folks flocking to a lot of the kind of you know, meat replacement, fake meat type things that Beyond Burger, Impossible Burger, that kind of stuff, because they're not necessarily a healthy option. They're fine for an every now and then. Um, situation, but they're, they have a, a fair amount of, of fat in them that is not necessarily what we want. So you can absolutely get what you need um, without meat. Um, you don't have to become uh, vegetarian or vegan, though. Uh, we just want to work on putting in a few meat-free meals per week or adding more vegetables to help stretch meat for longer um, periods of time. Um, when I'm working with folks that are working on maybe cholesterol and heart health, which we should all be doing, um, I usually recommend one to two meat-free meals a week, and that can be as simple as swapping out your ground beef that you would normally make tacos with for something like black beans or lentils, um, or you know, swapping out um, the ground meat and spaghetti with something like lentils that work very well um, as a, a meat replacement there. Uh, as far as websites and cookbooks and stuff like that, there are a plethora of them out there when you look at um, plant-based eating. Forks Over Knives is one of my favorite. Now, that's a, a documentary that you can watch, and there's a lot of people who don't don't love it, and that's okay. But the Forks Over Knives meal planner is pretty doggone awesome. Um, it helps you build meals um, and substitute in plant-based proteins for those uh, meat items very well, as well as helping you build um, those menus out there. Um, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is another great resource. They've got lots of information about plant-based diets on there. You can always follow me on Facebook. I share my plant-based recipes um, there, as well as um, going to um, uh, just Google and typing in plant-based recipes. You'll get a ton there, but think about what's familiar to you, what you enjoy already with your family, um, and think about how you can substitute the meat out of that particular meal or spread that meat out more. So maybe you're, you know, you're not ready to go full on lentils or black beans in your tacos. You really want, you know, your ground um, beef or your ground turkey in there. Think about using half the amount of meat and then the remainder being a bean or a lentil. That way you're able to take kind of one pound of ground meat and make it last for more than, than one meal there. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.